If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me please to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. I know your Bibles fall open at Ezekiel. One of those books uh, that a lot of people actually avoid reading because of uh, some of the deep things in there. But it's uh, actually a book of great blessings and I hope that will come across to you tonight. Ezekiel 37 and we're looking tonight at verses 15 to 28. Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 15. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick and they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you saying, will you not show us what you mean by these things? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it with the stick of Judah. And make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you will write will be one in your hand before their eyes. Then say to them, thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side, bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them, sorry, over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary In their midst forevermore, my tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Please keep your Bibles open there. 
Uh, I've been reading this book uh, full of great stories, true stories, uh, in preparation for Christmas. I've been, uh, been Christmas reading already. Uh, it's called A Treasury of Christmas Miracles by Karen Kingsbury. And one of the stories in there uh, just seemed to fit well for my introduction tonight. It was a story of a young couple in America in Michigan by the name of Scott and Julie, who, when they got engaged, they didn't have money for an engagement ring. But uh, Julie's mother had left her her engagement ring. I think her mother had died some years just before, but had left her her engagement ring uh, to be her inheritance. And they used that to get married. And one of the things that they did, because they didn't have much money, was they used to like going fishing. They used to go to a place called Half Moon Lake. And on Friday night, when they got off work, they would drive up to Half Moon Lake, uh, take some lanterns, take the fishing rods, and just spend the night trying to catch cash fish and uh, things like this. And on one occasion, it was particularly cold. And uh, they'd stayed the weekend. And as they got back in the car, Julie looked at her hand and said, Oh no, Scott, my ring, it's fallen off. And she said, it must have been that my hand got so cold, it fell off uh, when we were putting our hands in the water. Well, Scott sighed and said, okay, let's go and have a look. I mean, it was dark, it was late, uh, and... uh, you know, this lake is a very big place and trying to find that ring was hugely difficult. And sadly, they had to give up and go back home. And for the girl, that was a very heartbreaking thing. Not only was it her engagement ring, but it was also her mother's ring and uh, a token of affection from her. Well, 22 years later, if you can think about that, they went to church and uh, they were in church and somebody said to them, oh, you're going to love this church. You're going to love it because everybody here is into fishing. (laughs) And uh, when they were having refreshments, they were talking about fishing. And a lady uh, said, whose name was Lisa, said to Julianne, well, I caught the biggest catfish in my life last weekend at Half Moon Lake. And Julie heard that and laughed and she said, listen, if you cut that thing open and find a wedding ring in it, it's mine. I lost it there 22 years ago. Suddenly Lisa's face went slack and her mouth hung open. What? she asked. I said, if you find a ring in that fish, it's probably mine. I lost my wedding ring at that lake 22 years ago. Julie, you're not going to believe this. That fish didn't have a ring inside it, but 15 years ago, I found a wedding ring at that lake. And uh, to cut a long story short, they compared it in description, and the date engraved on the inside was the same one, and they knew that it was her ring that was found 15 years ago, and that girl got her ring back. What amazing story that is uh, of God's goodness to them. And uh, what a, a joy for that lady to have her wedding ring restored. Well, when you lose something precious, when something precious goes away from you, you're so glad to get it back, aren't you? Well, I want to tell you, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to get a lot of precious things back to himself, including the nation of Israel. Because the Bible tells us that when Christ comes back, 
the nation of Israel is going to be restored to himself. And that's partly what Ezekiel's prophecies here in this chapter are about. And uh, in this portion of Ezekiel, up to the end of the, the book, he's talking about the time of the end, including the time of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. And one of the things that's going to happen at that time is there's going to be a, a spiritual and physical uh, resurrection of Israel and uh, they're going to be brought back to the land and brought back to the Lord and there'll be a mighty turning back to him and this was always God's plan that this should happen you know one of the great um, days of the year for a Jewish person is the day of atonement Yom Kippur as you may know it by and uh, on that day the high priest would enter into the temple in, into the tabernacle or into the temple later and he would go into the holy of holies it was the only time of the year he was allowed to do that and he would take the blood from the animal sacrificed on the altar and he would put it in two places he would put it on the mercy seat the seat on top of the ark of the covenant which was over the ten commandments underneath and it was like saying christ's blood has paid for our broken our sins where we've broken those commandments but do you know what else he did he took that blood and he poured it on the ground as well and it was like saying one day he's going to restore this world as well and the power of the Lord Jesus' death on the cross is such that he's going to restore the world when he comes back. And in that will be the restoration of Israel as well. And this is one of the great and amazing things that I love to think about, and I know many of you do, in the Bible as well. And I can't help thinking we're moving towards that time. Uh, because, you know, things are showing that... that, that we are, as far as Israel's concerned, coming back into that window uh, of, of prophecy. And uh, one of the things that was amazing to me just this week uh, on my phone, I have a, an app that tells me Israel's news. And uh, it said 200 Israeli Jews rescued from Ethiopia in a secret mission. You know there's a war in Ethiopia at the moment. Well, it says in the book of Zechariah, in Zephaniah uh, and other places that the Jews of Ethiopia are going to go back to the land. And that's one of the things that happened this week. And so we're excited to think that one day soon these prophecies are going to come to pass. And this is an incredibly encouraging thing for us because the things that we see in this chapter have application for us as well. Because we see as Israel is restored, she's restored, she has a restored unity, she has a restored purity, she has a restored regency, she has a restored king, and she has a restored sanctuary. And all those things can be applied to us as believers today as well. So for our study in the scriptures tonight, I want to see this and apply it to ourselves as well as understanding the prophecy directly. First of all, we see when Israel is restored, she will have a restored unity. And that's what we see in verses 15 through to 22. And uh, you look in verse 15, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, as for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Now, 
I could write a sermon just on sticks in the Bible. There are so many wonderful things about sticks. There's Aaron's rod, the budded, one of my favourite miracles in the Old Testament. There's the two sticks of Elijah uh, with the widow, you know, who was gathering the sticks for her last meal and in stepped Elijah. Uh, There's Jacob's staff, which he lent on, on his deathbed and so on. There's so many wonderful sticks in the Bible. But these are two sticks you hardly ever hear spoken about. But what... Uh, what they were was either uh, a, a king's staff or they were a shepherd's rod. And what Ezekiel was told to do was to take that staff and to break it in half, and or, or, or at least it, it was two sticks and uh, uh, at the start. I imagine it was one and then broken. But then he was to write the names of Judah on one and Joseph on the other. Now, why was he to do that? Well, Judah was the name for the southern kingdom of Israel and Joseph was the name for the northern king of, kingdom of Israel. You see, like North and South Korea, they were one nation once, but they got divided and they were at war just as uh, uh, North and South Korea are today, but they are historically one people. Well, that's that's exactly what happened with Israel after Solomon became king. He overtaxed and overburdened the people, and they had a revolt, and uh, they there was a breakaway of the ten tribes, and they became known as the tribes of Joseph because the the biggest tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh uh, were in this portion here, and they were the two sons of Joseph. And what Ezekiel is told to do is, uh, and this has never happened before in in history, the the, the nation was divided like that stick. It was once one and it was broken in two at that event and it became two sticks. But what Ezekiel is told to do is to do a visual aid. He's saying, the Lord said, write the names on those sticks and then in your hand they will be joined together to become one. They'll become one stick. Now, that was Ezekiel's only miracle. It wasn't street magic. It was real magic. (laughs) Real magic. Real real, the power of God. And God said, when you take those uh, uh, two sticks, if you look in verse 17, then join them together for yourself into one stick and they will become one in your hand. And God was going to do a miracle before the people who were watching Ezekiel preach to tell them this same message. That one day the two halves of the nation are going to be united again as one people. And this was a great message that Ezekiel was to share with his listeners and with us down the years. And that's really what verses 15 through to 22 are about. I won't go into all the details in every verse tonight, uh, but to give the big sweeping themes. And it talks about the unification again of the land and the people of Israel. If you come down to verse 21, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. 
What an amazing thing is going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. The nation of Israel is not only going to be restored to their geographical land and their physical Lord, they are also going to be reunited as a family together. That's an amazing thing. And you know what? I can't help thinking what a time at the moment to be preaching this message because Israel has perhaps never been more divided uh, than uh, this uh, we're seeing at the moment in recent days. I was watching a, a podcast recently on the nation of Israel talking about the uprising. You know, there's been this issue of the judicial reform in the land of Israel. And uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, as the elected official, has tried, as I understand it, to establish certain things. And the judges are saying, no, we, we make the laws and we're fighting against it. And there's this tension between the two groups. Who has the power, the person who's elected or the people who are in charge of the judiciary? And uh, the people fear it being in the hands of Benjamin Netanyahu because they don't want him to become a dictator. But uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is saying, well, I was elected to lead. You know? And it is a tension. And you've got this great division in the land of Israel at this time. It's a very serious thing. Uh, in fact, it's so serious that uh, significant members of Israeli military have said in a future combat situation, uh, we are going to go on strike. Can you imagine that? And that has emboldened Israel's enemies. And at this time, uh, Iran are moving their proxy armies around the Middle East, around Lebanon and so on. And uh, it looks as if we could see some serious conflicts coming to the, to the Middle East in the near days. Uh, and so what a time to be thinking about the unity of Israel from the Bible. And to know that one day God is going to restore the unity to those people. It's an amazing thing. And we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And when you look at that psalm, it's not just talking about peace from the attacks of her enemies. It's talking about peace within. And uh, that's what we want to be praying for as well. But what a lesson for us as well. To realize that God can restore unity to his people. And, you know, this is something we in Christianity need to remember as well, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ in the church can restore unity among his people. You know, uh, I read this cartoon in Peanuts once. Some of you remember Peanuts and uh, Snoopy and Linus. One of the characters was the big deep thinker and he said this, he said, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. And do you ever feel like that? You know, <laughs> I love everyone in the world, but I just have a problem with him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes we fall out with people and we have differences and the church is not immune to those difficulties as well. Look at Paul and Barnabas as a sad case in the New Testament. But the Lord can and will restore unity to his people uh, when Christ comes again. I was involved in a, a church leadership group once that sadly fell into uh, a disagreement and it became very acrimonious. And there was a great divide between uh, real men of God on both sides. And I felt very, very sad about this. And I was praying about it. And uh, when I was having my quiet time, 
uh, I read these verses that day in, in Isaiah 53, actually before Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 52, and it said, when the Lord restores Zion, they shall see eye to eye. And it was such a comfort to me to know that one day the Lord will restore unity to his people again. And the wounds of the past will be healed and forgotten. And uh, that's something we can give thanks for. And that's something we can look forward to tonight and take comfort in from this very encouraging message. But let's at the same time uh, not misunderstand what the Bible means by unity. The Bible does not mean a false unity uh, in, in terms of denying the gospel. You know, Tolkien wrote that book, The Fellowship of the Ring. Well, I, I think I'm going to write one called The Fellowship of the Wrong. <laughs> because there is a, a fellowship of the wrong where people try to join together that which can never be joined which have irreconcilable differences over the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about that type of unity. We're talking about unity between those who are truly the Lord's people in truth and in salvation. And we need to thank God that that will one day take place. And we also need to pray and work for that unity to be maintained now as well. I just want to say this to the fellowship here at Union Chapel especially. You know, with our church meetings coming up and with uh, the, the work that we're having done at the moment, the deacons are, are working hard to, to get the CIO stuff uh, 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 worked through and everything. You know, there are going to be differences at some points. And sometimes we're not all going to get everything we want. You know, we've got to guard the unity at that point. And we've got to pray, the Lord, just look after us. Don't let the devil bring this to be a dividing point between us. Uh, this is a lovely, loving, happy church, and we want it to stay that way. So uh, let's make that a matter of prayer as well. But that's an encouragement. The Lord is going to restore Israel with unity. Secondly, they're going to have a restored purity, as we see in verse 23. The Lord says, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. You know, if you went to ancient Rome, you would find the children in the school using slates, they, which they called a tabula. And those tabula or tablets, and isn't it funny that we have tablets around again today? Uh, I'm sure it's going full circle. Uh, they, they had uh, a, a, a board that was covered in wax and they would do their work on this by engraving into the wax. Well, at the end of the day, they needed to have another one ready for tomorrow. So what they did was they heated the wax and melted it and made it smooth again. And that's how you had what we call a clean slate. It was uh, a tabula rasa, as they called it in Latin, I understand. And it's a wonderful thing to have the slate marked wiped clean of all the things you've done wrong. And that's what one of the things that the Lord is going to do for Israel when they come back to him uh, at his return. And the Lord promises that it will be an end to their sins. They shall defile themselves. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols. You know, we read this morning about Gideon and uh, his family with the uh, idol Baal. 
And sadly, they, they fell into idolatry much in the Old Testament before being taken away into captivity. Afterwards, they came back and they were cured of that. But God says they shan't defile themselves anymore with their idols. Unfortunately, though, there is one idol that is going to come back in the future and it will be raised in the very, uh, in the very, very center of Jerusalem. And it will be the abomination of desolations that Jesus warned about, uh, which the Antichrist will establish. But when Israel repents, that will all be done away with and they will be cleansed from it. And nor with their detestable things uh, or any of their transgressions will they carry on. God is going to give them a change of heart and there will be a new heart and a new start. He says in verse 23 in the middle, I, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places. Now that phrase dwelling places in, in the Hebrew can also be translated backslidings. I will deliver them from all their backslidings, which is a, a wonderful thing and in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. And that's something we all need, uh, as well as the nation of Israel. They will look to the Lord Jesus Christ, their Messiah. They will look on him whom they have pierced, and they will be saved. And Isaiah 53, which we read earlier on, uh, if you read that, you'll notice it's all in the past tense. It says, you know, we considered him smitten. And you think, so, well, hang on a minute. That was written before the cross, not after it. So why is it written in the past tense? Answer is because that's going to be the prayer Israel's going to use about the Messiah uh, when they look back on him from their conversion point uh, when Christ comes again. So that's going to be a wonderful thing. But we all need that as well. And we all need to be restored to the Lord in purity. You know, I read of a, a, a preacher, a, an old man, and I guess only an older man could get away with this. I don't think a younger man like myself could get away with it. No, so I call myself young. Uh, but uh, this older gentleman who was a country pastor, he asked all the ladies in the church to bring their best vases from home next Sunday. And so all the ladies turned up with their Port Miriam vases and everything. And uh, he said, who would like to uh, let me put their, their vase up the front? And some of the ladies you know, held out their vase for him to take. And so he took the vases and they had a bigger table at the front than we've got. And he put the, uh, the best ten vases up on the front. And then he opened his Bible and he read Exodus 20 and he talked about the Ten Commandments. And he said, I want you to know how we have broken each one. And he went to the first commandment and he took a hammer from under the pulpit and he smashed the first woman's vase. And he went like that through all of the Ten Commandments. And these ladies were very upset. These were their best vases. And he turned around and said to them, but you have broken God's commandments. How does he feel? And, you know, although they weren't happy with him, it was a sermon they never forgot. <laughs> now, I guess without having to do the visual aid, you've got the message as well because you've put yourself in that position. And, you know, all of us have broken God's commandments and done that which is wrong in his eyes. And we need to be cleansed and forgiven, and that's why the Lord Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. And although it doesn't tell us directly here uh, that it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that they will be cleansed, it is certain that it is through him that they will be cleansed. 
Oswald Chambers, the Christian writer, said this, It is shallow nonsense to say God forgives because he is love. The only ground upon which God can forgive us is the cross. And he's absolutely right. God doesn't forgive us just because he's loving. God forgives us because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And if we turn to him, we can be saved. I want to ask, have you turned to him and asked him to be your saviour? Thirdly, we see they will be restored with regency because the prophecy goes on in verse 24, says, David, my servant, shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd. And if you come down to the end of verse 25, it says, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Now, this is an amazing prophecy that the Lord gave Israel, that they were going to be restored to their land, restored to the Lord, restored out of their sin. But as he said earlier on, I will make them one nation and I'll put one king over them in verse 22. Now, when most of us read that, we tend to think, oh, well, I know that is, that's going to be Jesus. He's going to be the king. And you're absolutely right, Jesus is going to be the king. But if you notice, his title is the king of what? Kings. Yeah. There are going to be other kings in the kingdom. And in fact, Revelation 20 tells us that when we come back, we will reign with Christ, which is a wonderful thing, isn't it? And dead saints... And we've lost some precious saints in this last year. They will also be raised to serve the Lord in the kingdom. But dear brothers and sisters, don't think that is only applicable to those who've only lived in the last 30 years. This is for all those who are the Lord's people down the years of time. And one of the people who's going to be raised to serve the Lord in that day is going to be David. And David will be the king of, where do you think he's going to be king of? King of France? No, he's going to be the king of Israel under the Lord Jesus Christ. David, my servant, as the Lord says, shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. Now, as far as David is concerned, his relationship to the Lord is he is the prince and the two together, David will be counted as the prince, which is why he's called that at the end of verse 25. And when you're reading on in Ezekiel, you'll read about the prince can do this and the prince can do that in the later chapters. And it's referring to David. But it's a wonderful thing to realize that God has that plan for Israel in the future. It's not just spoken of here, it's spoken of in other prophecies as well. Jeremiah 30 verse 9, But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Ezekiel earlier on, verse, chapter 34 verse 29, I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them my servant David. Hosea chapter 3 verse 5, Afterwards the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And uh, that's where those prophecies are fulfilled. Some people think that David there is a reference to the Lord Jesus because he's the son of David, but I don't think it is. I do think it means literally David. I'm not going to fall out with anybody over it, but uh, I believe it means literally David. And actually, David isn't the only one who's going to be raised uh, from Israel's history. Uh, There's many other illustrations of this, other princes and rulers and judges. Uh, Here's just one more for you. If you go to the last verse of Haggai, the Lord says this, In that day 
says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Well, the signet ring was what was worn by the prime minister, so he could make decisions. And God's saying, Zerubbabel, you're going to be prime minister in my kingdom. What an amazing thing to look forward to. (laughs) And that's another servant of God who's going to come back. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that's going to be our option too. If we're faithful to the Lord, and then we will hear those wonderful words in Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And uh, the joy of the Lord will be to carry on serving the Lord in joy in his kingdom, uh, in places that he's uh, assigned for us. So that's something else to see and something to encourage our hearts with. And the final part here is there will be a restored sanctuary in verses 26 to 28. The Lord says, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. Now, the sanctuary of Israel is a reference to the temple. And if you read Ezekiel as a whole, you'll see Ezekiel starts off with uh, a very sad story of the temple in Jerusalem being defiled by idols in his day. And the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory, leaving the temple and abandoning it. And it was from there that after that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the temple according to the prophecies. And God said, uh, I'm not going back uh, at the moment. Uh, And so there was a temple lost in the days of Solomon. Then, of course, when the children of Israel came back in the days of Ezra, they rebuilt the temple in a smaller way. And Herod modified that in his day and made it the temple which was there in the Lord Jesus' day. But the glory of God uh, never came in the Shekinah into the temple of Herod. It did come in the Lord Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. And that's uh, an even greater thing in some respects. But Israel herself, ever since the day she lost that temple in AD 70, has longed for a temple again. Well, here's the wonderful news I have for the people of Israel. When the Lord Jesus comes back, they are also going to get a restored sanctuary. And it's something that he is going to to do. It's not something that man is going to do. And that needs to be said because the Antichrist will help bring about a temple in the last days and that's something uh, we see Israel moving towards now. But at the end of Ezekiel we see an amazing vision in chapter 40 to 48 of a sanctuary, a temple, Ezekiel's temple, uh, which will be on the earth in that day. There will also be a tabernacle, uh, it says in verse 27, my tabernacle also shall be with them. And some of you may remember a few months back before the coronation we did a sermon on David's tabernacle. And David's tabernacle being raised up again uh, as the place where the Lord Jesus' throne will be initially uh, before this temple is built. And God says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. And it will be a sign to the world that the Lord has restored his people to himself.
Now some people say, well, why is there going to be a temple restored? I don't really understand why when Jesus comes back there's going to be a temple on the earth again. Well, there's a number of reasons for that. Number one, it's going to be the throne room, the, king, the palace from which the Lord Jesus reigns. Think about it, when the Lord comes back uh, and touches uh, the Mount of Olives... He's not going to just stay standing on that one spot for the next thousand years. He's not going to stay standing in an open field or in the streets. He's not going to move into Buckingham Palace, the White House, or the UN building. He's going to have a building built for him. And that will be the temple Ezekiel sees. And Ezekiel chapter 43 sees the glory of the Lord returning in to that sanctuary, which is an amazing thing. It's going to be like Palm Sunday all over again, but properly (laughs) when they receive him right in to the temple and he takes up his throne. So it's going to be the place where Christ is going to reign from on the earth, which is a wonderful thing. But it's also going to be restored so the Lord can fulfill his promises to his people. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 33, the Lord said this in chapter 33, verse 17. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Well, we know and believe that, don't we? And Jesus is going to fulfill that. But what about the next verse? He says, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me to kindle grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. It's so God can give uh, the fulfillment to that prophecy to the Levites again to be able to serve the Lord in a place of worship again. And those sacrifices are not going to be uh, saving of any saving effect because they never were in the first place in the Old Testament. But they will be for a pointer to Christ and for ceremonial cleansing as we see in the book of Ezekiel. But what an amazing thing to realize the Lord is going to restore Israel with a sanctuary in their midst again. And you know, I find a great encouragement for us today in that, because all over this country, I see churches closing. I was down, as I said, at the PWMI meeting yesterday, I was talking to a pastor down there. I said, how's it going? He looked to me and he said, we're down to seven people. And my heart just broke for him. You know, I know he's been a faithful man and has preached in that church for years, down to seven people. And that's happening all over the place. It's sad. But the God who can restore the sanctuary is the God who can restore the church as well. And we can look to him to do that. You know, I read some years ago of a spider that tried to make its web and weave its web between two hands of a big clock. But it kept breaking every time the clock's hands moved. And of course it would. It's not going to stay in those positions forever. And you know what? Man today is trying to make his plans, and yet he's making them on the moving hands of God's timepiece. And his plans will be the ones that that come to pass in the end, not the plans of man. So let's give thanks to the Lord. One day he's going to restore the earth, and he will restore Israel as well. Let's look to him to restore in ways that are relevant for us as well.